Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. If we knew Nancy Rogers, Fred's mother, we'd understand why she would say this. It is so who she was. She internalized this biblical reality. It's a reality that we we claim to believe because, after all, it's in the Bible. But after all of our believing it, its practice often doesn't make it into the reality of our daily living. Mrs. Rogers, Fred's mother, went beyond intellectual assent. Not only did she agree and adopt this biblical truth, but she moved it into practice. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When she taught little Freddie that when things are in crisis, when bad things happen, to look for the helpers and seeing them, you'll have hope. That was coming from somewhere deep in who she was. She had something like 25,000 volunteer hours as a nurse's aide in her local hospital. During World War II, she was part of the teams that would prepare dressing packs to send to the front lines. And she would knit sweaters for the soldiers. In fact, she knit a sweater each year for the 12 people important in her life. And until her death, all the sweaters that Mr. Rogers would change into and zip up were hand-knit by his mom. Most of our connection to a time like World War II of great catastrophe is a parent or grandparent or a great-grandparent that served. Or maybe it's some movie of heroism about that war. A visit to Omaha Beach or the American Cemetery at Normandy with the 9,385 graves over 172 acres. But pretty much, most of us have no context for the personal deprivations demanded to support that war effort. When tragedy strikes or crisis comes, Fred's mom said to always look for the helpers. This is what she told her young son, Freddie. It was something that he internalized and shared with the children he spoke to throughout his show. And this wise counsel from his mom, following it in times of tragedy and terror, and even during a global pandemic, is a way to maintain or restore a sense of hope. But I believe that while Nancy Rogers' advice to look for the helpers may be wisdom for children and a source of hope for adults, the call is bigger than observation. I can observe the two women that I know in our community who are looking in on a senior citizen, uh, helping find groceries and make sure she has her food, give her other assistance as needed for a, a safe place to live during this time. I look for the helpers and I'm filled with hope. We hear stories like the one I interviewed Hurley a few weeks ago. Her cousin, a successful physician in a position far removed from the front lines contact with COVID, sees his fellow physicians tired, overburdened, and so he volunteers to help. He, he moves on to the front lines in Brazil's battle with the virus. He contracts the disease and it takes his life. Only trying to help. One of the obvious helpers who made the ultimate sacrifice in his care for others. 
And his spirit of seeking to serve rather than to be served reveals hope for us. Altruism is defined as the belief in or practice of disinterested and selfless concern for the well-being of others. We love stories of altruism. You know, those stories, the ones where there's no self-interest, self-motivation, but just a selfless concern for the well-being of others. One of the most amazing stories of a whole community coming together in selfless concern for others is remembered well by one of the recipients of that community's altruism. Shirley Brooks Jones recalls how it all began. She said they were four hours out of Frankfurt, Germany, when the captain, Michael Sweeney, came on the PA and said there was a problem with an indicator light and they would have to land in Gandar, Newfoundland to get it fixed. She remembers sitting in the air. She didn't think much about it. But when the plane landed, she immediately knew that something was wrong. Out the window, she could see all these planes from all over the world lined up one after the other. And at the head of one line was a U.S. Air Force cargo plane. It was September 11, 2001. Once their plane was parked, the captain came back on the PA and apologized for the ruse. He said, there's nothing wrong with the plane, but there was a national emergency in the United States, and the military was now in charge of the U.S. airspace. Everything on the plane was deathly quiet, and then everybody went for their cell phones to try to make contact with some family member somewhere, but no one could get through. Delta Flight 15 and the 218 passengers sat on the tarmac for hours and hours, with the pilot only being able to receive news from the BBC on his radio and then relaying that news to the captive passengers. Uh, There were 33 planes, some 8,000 passengers detoured to Gander. And finally, Flight 15 and three other plane loads of people, about 800 people, were bussed to the little town of Lewisport, a no-stoplight town of 3,800 people about 45 miles from the airport. The local school bus drivers had had been on strike, but suspended it to to drive these strangers to where they needed to go. When Bill Hooper, the mayor of Lewisport, received word that his small town would be harboring uh, many of the stranded, he immediately commandeered the local airwaves, asking for food and blankets and pillows. He received much more. Shampoo, diapers, books, toys for kids, baby food, towels, even TVs. People hung up the American flag in that little town of Lewisport at half-mast to show solidarity with their guests. Hooper had arranged for televisions and banks of 10 to 12 phones in every auditorium, every hall that was being used as housing. There was no charge for, or restrictions on where you called or how long you talked. Hooper, an understated man, shook it off. He said that we were just simply happy to be there in the time of desperate need. But in the memory of those stranded passengers, the people of Lewisport were more than just there. Some people had had checked their prescriptions, medications, in their luggage, which was now inaccessible. And people in Lewisport took those passengers to doctors who wrote prescriptions and then to pharmacists who filled the prescriptions for free. 
every night, women would come in and take all the towels and washcloths and take them home, wash and dry them and bring them back the next morning. People cooking never even left there and went home, but their legs were swollen from standing so long. Everyone was helping. And the shopkeepers in the few places that were still open wouldn't let anyone pay for anything. This went on for three days. Uh, Brooks Jones says it, it was truly the most beautiful experience, a beautiful experience she'd ever had in her life. Those, those people had so little and yet they gave us absolutely everything. And I mean everything. Many of her fellow passengers from the flight felt much as she, she did. And so when once again they were sat shoulder to shoulder on the flight heading to Atlanta, they, they racked their brains. How can we thank these people? What can we do for them? And they didn't want to offend them by sending money for this graciousness that had come from the goodness of their hearts. But by the time the flight arrived in Atlanta, they had created the Gandar Flight 15 Scholarship Fund and had already had the first $15,000 to that fund pledged while on the plane for college, for, for college scholarships for young people from Lewisport. By 10 years later, the fund had raised over $3 million, had given scholarships to 29 students. Uh, Ray Leanne uh, Heath was one of the first students to receive a scholarship. She had helped serve meals and entertain the children who attended uh, there and at the St. Matthew's United Church during this crisis. And she had always thought of the differences between the two countries, the United States and Canada, but when the people came to her town, she said she realized that cultural differences don't mean a thing. We're all in this world together. And that's the gift, she said, the passengers from that flight gave her. Unfortunately, when crisis comes, we humans, we generally fall into one of two large buckets of response. The first is self-protective and self-advancing. And the questions asked are, how can I keep me and mine safe economically, socially, health-wise? And, and then how can I exploit this crisis to be better off personally when it's passed? This bucket of egotism. The second is the bucket of altruism. The questions are, how can I help? What resources can I bring to the table? I, I know there are risks, but people need to be helped. What can I do? What can I give? How do I not just look for the helpers? How do I become one? This is the Christian response. Scripture tells us that, that we love because he first loved us. That Jesus, our great model of all that is good, was absolutely clear when he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life is a ransom for many. There are some strange sayings that Jesus gave when he was here. Maybe the strangest for me is that those who wish to hold on to, to protect, to save their lives will lose them. And that those who are willing to lose their lives, to give them away, to spend them in service for others will find their life. I'm fascinated by Jesus' teaching recorded in Matthew 25, you're familiar with it. It says that when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne and He'll separate people like a shepherd separates the goats and the sheep. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. And I was in prison, and you visited me. And and then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or, or, or naked and give you some clothes? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Contrary to those who failed to care for Jesus, they asked, when did we not care for you, Jesus? And he will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. I don't want to just look for the helpers and find hope in the reality of others' altruism while I wallow in my egoism. I want to join the helpers. Service, you see, is love with skin on it. John puts it this way in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I I love God, but hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he's given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Really, there are two paths. uh, Care and preference for self and care and preference for others. It's not in the world of competitive sports where we often see care and preference for others. I mean, the the whole point of the sport is to win, to be the strongest, fastest, able to throw the furthest, be able to do whatever the athletic event is the best. News outlets reported this story in January of 2013. Long-distance runner Ivan Fernandez-Anya was trailing behind Olympic bronze medalist Abel Mutai during a cross-country race in Berlada, Navarra. Uh, Mutai was leading the comfortably until he pulled up. He stopped 10 to 20 meters short of the finish line because he thought the race was already over. Instead of passing Mutai, Fernandez slowed down and told Mutai to keep running. And since they didn't have to speak the same common language, the Basque runner just gestured frantically and Mutai went on to win the race. Fernandez said, I I didn't deserve to win it. Uh, I, I did what I had to do. He was the rightful winner. He created a gap that I couldn't have closed if he hadn't made a mistake. As soon as I saw him, he was stopping. I knew I was not going to pass him. Who will you be? In the moments of crisis, in moments of awkward, unearned opportunity, in, in hard times, who will you go the, will you go the route of self-interest and egoism, or will you think of the other and choose altruism? Here at Whole Life Church, our mission is loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. 
And our vision is, is the outworking of our mission to, to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. This week, choose altruism. Consciously choose to take the focus off of you, your worries, your concerns, your fears, and decide how you might reduce another's worry. Relieve one of their concerns. Bring courage and bravery to their fear. Lay down your life for them. Lose your life. And in that losing, you will find it as you fully engage in serving the people of your sphere of influence. And then when you look for the helpers, you'll be able to find at least one in your mirror. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.